This is Taiwan Bound, the English language podcast of Tel Aviv University. Please welcome your host, Ido Aroni, Tel Aviv University's graduate, member of the Board of Governors, lecturer, writer, and veteran diplomat. Welcome to another episode of Tao Unbound. I'm Ido Aroni, your host, and today it is my pleasure to host Professor Yuval Gadot, who's the head of the Department of Archaeology and Ancient Near East... Uh, cultures yeah, near Eastern right. cultures near Eastern cultures I got I think I got the title right yeah. it's a pleasure to have you thank you very much so you know we uh, um, host here um, a, a wide a variety of, of uh, members of the faculty but we have not had an archaeologist yet you're the ah, first yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's start by by hearing a little bit about your own background tell okay. us a little bit about where you were brought up and then how you ended up in archaeology and Okay, so I grew up here in the suburbs of Tel Aviv, um, wanting to be outside a lot. Uh, I always liked history, but I think if you, you grew up here in youth movements and uh, the protection of nature uh, society, you, you always go out. As, By as the way, for the benefit of our listeners and our viewers, I, I should say, That the Society for the Preservation of Natural Life in Israel was was founded in the late 1950s, early 1960s, and was one of the first environmentalist group in, groups in the world. Yeah, and very influential. Very influential. And, and very, like educational-wise, I, I am growing up in a in society that cares about, you know, every Saturday you, you walk somewhere, you hear guiding tours and so on. So you consider yourself a product of... something like that, that of yeah. that system yes that really cared about nature yeah and then I found myself uh, already in the army guiding tours uh, and when I came to the university I knew that I want to I didn't know what archaeology is but I knew that I want to kind of uh, put together knowledge being outside and uh, this thing of, of touring or, or that thing and, and so when you, I went like the outdoors and and where you Did you obtain your first degree here at uh, Tau at Tel Aviv University first second and the PhD Wow uh, yeah so you from are the, yeah from the moment I went into the room I said okay that's what I want to do I want to be an archaeologist and, uh, and I, what was the first uh, uh, experience you had in archaeology that that really uh, cemented it for you I went into digging at Megiddo and Megiddo was this was a new expedition held by my teachers professor Rizal Finkenstein and professor David Osishkin and they it brought up uh, students from all over the world mainly from the states but not only and it's it's like a camp uh, you stay there uh, for two or three weeks and so on and I, we went into the squares that we mark we, we began to dig and, and and that was that and that, that was your first archaeological digging yep yeah in yep. in uh, Tel Megiddo mm-hmm. wow that that um, and that was when uh, this is 1994 1994 yeah and and you see you, you stand there and there are people coming from all over the world and they want to know about Megiddo and you say okay what's 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 in here in this ground that make everybody so interested and everybody's like uh, there's there's something in their eyes as if they are going to reveal the biggest secrets ever and Uh, and and then you you learn to appreciate the place of archaeology in Israel the fact that it combines knowledge and now we know also science and the biblical traditions the identity of so many millions of people around the world uh, everything is kind of 
focus down to this ground when you're digging. And, and the purpose of archaeology, and again, uh, you mentioned that you're also, that the name of your department is archaeology and Near Eastern cultures, the study the, of the the ancients. Near, Urchin, yeah. Near, East, Near Eastern cultures. Um, how would you define Near East? Again, for the benefit of our audience. It, it begins by a sense that I think that was right for the people who kind of established the department is that if you want to know about the history of this land, which is really crucial and important, you, it cannot be an island. Okay, it's, it's a culture within cultures. And especially geographically now, this area that is called Israel or Southern Levant, it's a kind of a bridge between Egypt to the south, and then you have the Mesopotamian cultures where Iraq and, uh, is today, the Syrian cultures, the Anatolian cultures. We, we, are, we are in the middle, and there are things coming from, from, uh, from the north down and from the south up. And um, it's a unique culture by itself, but it's not a unique island culture. And, and for a student to understand what he sees when he's digging here, he needs to understand the world around. And the world around, actually, to tell the truth, we are kind of in the background, backyard of all, all of these empires. Uh, By the way, how does it impact your work as an Israeli archaeologist, the fact that you cannot practically uh, conduct research in other Near Eastern it, Yeah, countries? it's a matter of collaborations. Uh, with Egypt, it's easier in the last generation. Uh, with, uh, we do not work in Syria, Lebanon, or Iraq, but we do collaborate with Europeans and Americans. And sometimes when you go to conferences abroad, you get the chance to speak with Lebanese uh, and Syrian archaeologists, you know, off, off record. You, you get to share the knowledge, but it's definitely, it's definitely impacting and it's, it's not the way it should be. So you started in, in what is known as Megiddo, and today you're mostly working and studying in the Jerusalem area. Tell us about that, okay. that work. I'm digging in a very peaceful place <laughs> called the uh, City of David. Some people call it Silwan. Uh, we call it, just to, to kind of create a, a vacuum of political things, we call it the Southeastern Ridge. This is just the outskirts of Temple Mount, Haram al-Sharif. And this is the kind of the core uh, of historical Jerusalem. We have old Jerusalem, which is surrounded by walls, but it's not really old. It's uh, 2,000 years old. And you have older, older Jerusalem, where the national park, what is called today, City of David, is located. And that's where I'm working. And um, in a sense, it's a continuation of what, I've done, what I learned to do at Megiddo. Uh, it's the combination of text, archaeology, and history to, to create a picture of, of what was here 3,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, and so on. So you're now excavating um, uh, areas uh, that were three, there are 3,000 years old? And, and, and older. And older than that. Yep. And what are you discovering there? Um, uh, to, the, the, the thing that we are discovering is leftovers, okay? Ruined buildings, um, uh, sh uh, shattered uh, pottery vessels, uh, chewed bones that were discarded and of animals and so on. So take us through the process for those of us who are not you, experts okay. in archaeology of what can you learn from okay. something that may seem to the, you know, the, un the, the un unfamiliar person uh, may seem... Unimportant. Yeah, it all looks mundane and stones, okay? Earth, stones, and so on. But the amount of information 
that is, is kind of, uh, uh, it's not buried, it's like uh, inside, waiting for somebody to kind of ex- explode it out, uh, is unbelievable. And actually, I think like we are, my generation of archaeologists are going through a phase of almost like a revolution of from being very, very humanistic in our approach uh, to at least applying science uh, methods in order to say, okay, it's not just a bone, I can say what kind of animal it was and what part of the animal, and uh, then to go to the question of where was the animal uh, brought up in its uh, youthhood and so on. And, and if you translate these questions into culture, you can actually say what were people eating and what were they avoiding or they were not able to, to reach, like the better part of the animal and the, the worst part of the animal. So you have rich or poor people, you have ideological choices of what you play, put in your plate. And then where was the animal raised? This can tell you things about trade and so on. So we, we go from facts and, and exploiting information out of the facts. And that obviously requires a great deal of collaboration with other lot, departments. A lot. We, the archaeology is, when you say archaeology, you say interdisciplinary study. Yes, definitely. And can you just uh, just to trigger our imagination? Can you share with us one particular technology that's being used in uh, in the process of decoding yeah. the meaning of an artifact? We, we are now. Uh, I think like I, I've dug. I'll tell you kind of uh, like we, we dug a building at, in Jerusalem, and it was very clear from the beginning that this is a kind of a well, very well-off building within the city. Uh, and it was very good. The preservation was good because it was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586. So this is like a, a time machine going to 586, the, the destruction of Jerusalem and the life of the people just to the destruction. And uh, we, we understood that we need to cooperate with as many people as possible. Actually, we turned it into a lab. Anybody who comes with an idea, welcome. Let's do something together. And we used archaeozoology, which I mentioned before. We used archaeobotony in order to get the, the, all of the uh, fruit remains and, and plant remains. We used the... Uh, um, um, now we are using... A, uh, there's, there's a student doing a PhD on the wood remains, not not the vegetation, charcoal, uh, that uh, fire. And then you think that this will be trivial things about uh, you know wood. So, okay, okay, they go around. No, but you see that they are bringing wood from far away. Uh, there, there's there's movement. There's choice with the wood. Wood is full of symbolism. We talked before about Christianity and the olive wood being so holy in its conception. Uh, so we see other kind of woods that are they choose to build with them. And and uh, one of the latest thing is that we 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 kind of combined chemistry. Uh, we find vessels that were uh, dis- smashed, destroyed by their hundreds. But you don't ever know what their content is. And chemistry allows you to extract the molecules that are kind of preserved within the sherd itself. You crush the sherd, you, you extract the molecules, and then you can say something about the material that were held within the wine. And we were thinking about this place as a very rich and uh, kind of bountiful place. And now we know that whoever lived in this building had uh, his wine store, at the, at the, like at the basement, and then uh, these jars of wine were flavored by uh, vanillin. And vanillin had to be exported from either India or Africa, these tropical areas, probably to Egypt or to the cultures in Mesopotamia, and then brought to somehow arriving in Jerusalem. 
through these trade networks. This is a very a detailed picture of these nobles of Jerusalem just before the destruction. And, and that, that gives you uh, a, a very strong sense of the kind of life these people had 3,000 yeah. years ago. Yeah, and then, and then you start contrasting them. Everybody lived in Jerusalem in this kind of lifestyle? Probably not. And then, so you go in other places and you dig and you don't find these things. By the way, what was the life expectancy of a human being in those days? Uh, I, I would say 50, 60, 70. 50, 60. Yeah, yeah. We don't dig much burials, so we don't really know. There's, there's not a lot of done with the burials. And, and uh, in terms of life, in, in this particular case in Jerusalem, 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, how would you describe life in, in those places? These specific guys that we dug their house, uh, these, this is the elite of Jerusalem. These so they are had a good life. Very, yeah, considering the fact that they were destroyed in 586, yes. Uh, they... Actually, in the biblical text, you can even find some criticism by some of the prophets about, you know, how they care about uh, the joy of life and they don't, they are not ideological enough. Um, and they're warned that if they won't cooperate, they do that and so on, uh, God will punish them and the punishment is the destruction, according to the ideology of the, uh, of the people who wrote the text. What can be said about ancient texts after you learn the facts from your archaeological digging, in terms of the, are they compatible? They are compatible in some things and they are not compatible in other things. And I think that the, the thing is always to think about the text and what, what it meant to say or to do and uh, the artifacts and what they meant to, to say and to do. I was digging together with other colleagues at uh, Ramat Rachel when we found the palace from these days exactly. This palace is not mentioned at all, at all in the biblical text. It's like people, somebody living today in Jerusalem and not mentioning the Knesset or the Israel Museum. And, and it's, it's a powerful building. And th then you say to yourself, okay, they, they did not write a book in order to describe everything. This is an ideological book that speaks about the independence of Judah and the, 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 the hands of, the, of God within the history, the national history of the Judeans and so on. Uh, and they probably had a reason why they wanted to ignore this palace. It didn't fit their ideology. And they did not like that. And we, we understood that this palace is representing the empires. So there was a fight of power between at least two, maybe more parties within Judah. And one party was writing the text and describing its concept of history, ignoring facts that did not fit their aim. Others were living in a palace in Jerusalem and probably, and so in Abat Rachel, and probably ignoring other facts. And if we had their text, it would sound very, very different. So it's not a yes or no question. It's not a black and white. It's a text. And then, okay, who is standing behind the text? It's a archaeology. And then who is standing behind this site, specific site? And uh, I think a, a kind of a weaving uh, work of somebody like an archaeologist or an historian that places both things together in order to say, okay, these are the nobles of Jerusalem, this is their conception, I have this other party, and that's their conception of history and so on. So you are, in the process, you're also able to reconstruct, basically, the historical context of the time. Exactly. In order to understand yeah. the yeah. importance we, of the... We all learn about the, the, the taboo about eating, uh, not eating pigs, uh, pork, in, in, in Judaism. It appears in the biblical text. Uh, do all people in Jerusalem always observe this law? We can see now that it's not 100%. It 
even if you go back to the days when the commands were written, this this idea was written, you do find pork in Jerusalem. Some, not a lot, but 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 it's a it's a game of of understanding the context, of understanding why was this criticism, like this law was uh, like the abolishing of of pork was now. Uh, Let me ask you a question that I, I know that many archaeologists face, which is the tension between um, the science of archaeology and, and archaeological discoveries. What happens when they contradict religious beliefs? Because I know that a lot of people of faith are drawn to archaeology. Okay. Because for them, it, you know, it proves a point. But what happens when there's a clash between their belief and And the archaeological facts first of all uh, at least for myself I'll say um, I have Yuval Gadot coming from a Judean a Jewish culture and so on and I sit in uh, Passover and I read the Agadah and I don't ask myself was that an event or wasn't it an event and, and so on I don't ask these questions okay and then there's this other person Yuval Gadot who is working in In archaeology and trying to say is that an historical moment this uh, exodus out of Egypt it's it's two different things I don't I don't think I need to change my culture because of what I find right okay so that's that's the first thing and I don't I don't push anybody else to do that and and uh, these books have their place in culture which is much more uh, like it's, it's so well established that I don't think we need to poke into it and say okay oh but we know that it's a little bit different And second is I, I think as I said before it's it's not the books are all wrong or the books are all right in in, in connection it's it's uh, let's go into something that it's it's so meaningful so for so many people and try to create an image that better exp explains this to us today in a sense and you say there's a separation between that and the story that we tell in our culture yep Because, exactly. because the story can be... Can. The know, story is what makes us uh, people, it's what makes us nation. This gives us moral, this gives us uh, an understanding of the world. And right. that's it's one like, thing. It's like movies, you know, in Hollywood, they, they say this movie is based on actual events, but it's not necessarily accurate. Yep. Uh, so that's, that's basically the same thing. Okay. And a story that survived for 3,000 years, you know probably if 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 any hollywood movie would stay for 3000 years as a moral then then it has its place and you don't need to ask any more questions about right, it right right <laughs> <laughs> now tell us a little a little bit about your uh, department i'm assuming because israel is such a a magnet for archaeologists that you have uh, a great deal of inf inf international outreach yeah we have an international program an ma That deals with the archaeology of Israel in, even in the days of the pandemic we had students coming here from all over the world uh, no zoom no it's the uh, hands-on experience of learning pottery of uh, excavating of touring with us at, at these sites that I mentioned Megiddo Jerusalem and so on and we have their students coming from who knows how many countries Americans and India people from India and people from China and Russians and so on and um, It's now already something like 11 years that we have this program. Uh, and then the student themselves, uh, yeah, they, they, like we have a BA, MA, uh, we have students learning uh, uh, languages, ancient languages, uh, Hittite and uh, uh, Akkadian and uh, read, reading Egypt, uh, hieroglyphs and so on. Now, in terms of international participation, where would you say most of the students come from? 
most of them come from the from the states first of all it's an English speaking program so it's easier for them also studying in in the United States is very expensive Tel Aviv is expensive for Israelis but for Americans that's an option so we have many of them coming from there also the interaction is more like that and then Germany uh, theology students in Germany uh, come a lot they, they join excavations they do exactly what you asked they 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 study the text this is this is the world but they want to understand the reality behind the text and so on now you you probably notice I, I'm wearing a Our, our listeners can't see my shirt but I'm wearing an NBA shirt and okay. um, uh, the commissioner of the NBA Adam Silver uh, who's a, was a good friend of mine for many years uh, told me first time I met him which was about 20 years ago that um, uh, his first visit to Israel was to participate in archaeological digging and he spent 30 days here in Israel and I think he mentioned it was uh, done in the Jericho area so I guess Oof, it was very uh, hot. So I guess it was before before the um, uh, the Oslo Accords, but um, but you know Israel is a draw. Archaeology is a big draw, and um, and uh, and what I would like to ask you is, what would you like to see going forward for your department in I, terms of your international outreach, in terms of your uh, emphasis on research, in terms of the facilities that you have? I I would I I. I would like to see the Israeli archaeology standing at the center of world debates uh, in, in that sense. I think uh, it's just a, like it's a very small place, country, but still very varied. And it was important in so many periods. And so you can use the archaeology of Israel to ask very, very specific questions, but also very global questions. You can deal with human movement and, Uh, from one million years ago until today out of Africa it all passed through Israel all of these uh, movements of people out of Africa and back to Africa and out again and so on everything is passing by here uh, and then the, the establishment of a culture and uh, domestication of fire domestication of the animals we are at the core of these events in, in that sense and when you move to historical periods even if you take uh, we, we excavate we have a, a expedition at Masada and Uh, by uh, uh, Dr. Guy Stiebel is excavating there. Masada is a very, very specific question. Did they commit a suicide? Did they not commit suicide? We, we all know that story, and it's an important story. But at the same time, you're dealing there with uh, refugees, okay? people that fled to the desert in order to survive. And refugees are a very, like, it's a big concern of our society today. Can you learn something from the way these refugees acted in, in this kind of historical context that we know? And, and you look at their material culture what did they eat what did they avoid what how were they organized and so on can you learn something from their lesson that can help dealing with refugees today or can we learn something from refugees today that will explain us better what happened at Masada and and so you it's a very local thing but it's a very global uh, thing and if I take another example we are all facing an, a climate cal, uh, crisis but humans are have been dealing with climate ever since they've been ever since their existence so can we learn from the past lessons that we can help us understand better how we should uh, face culture uh, climate change and you know it's not the first time that climate has changed and people were completely dependent there was no air condition there was no water coming from I don't know, I don't know where 
that they could reach. So how, how did they balance themselves with the environment without losing the battle in a sense? By the way, I'm thinking as you're speaking about what tools will the archaeologists of the future have to study us, let's say a thousand, two thousand years from now. Um, I'm sure that we are creating a civilization, you know, with all the technology that we have that will make it very difficult uh, for the future archaeologists yes. to know what, what exactly <laughs> happened here. In, in a sense, yes. We, we are always uh, trying to understand what is an elephant by, you know, uh, checking its part of its leg and, and trying to imagine the rest of the elephant. Uh, the thing is that it's not, first of all, it's all big. So, you know, excavating huge buildings like today or huge tunnels and so on, not easy. And a lot of data is now in the air. Exactly. Uh, in now, the cloud. How do, you, how do you excavate a cloud? Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll find a way. They'll find a way. <laughs> That's the artificial intelligence. You know, how, how can they understand and, and will they have the tools to, uh, to decode our technology today? I mean, these are all very, very big questions. Yep. Our old uh, floppy disks. If, yes. If you find a way, I need that. <laughs> well, Professor Gadot, um, you know, I, I could um, have a much longer conversation with you, but I think our time is up. Okay. I wanted to thank you for, thank you very much. for uh, spending time with us and really educating us My about pleasure. archaeology and the importance of your department in the overall structure here at the university. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And uh, to you, our viewers and our listeners, until our next episode, goodbye from Tel Aviv. This is Taiwan Bound, the English language podcast of Tel Aviv University. Please welcome your host, Ido Aroni, Tel Aviv University's graduate, member of the Board of Governors, lecturer, writer, and veteran diplomats.